Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Available now from Dread bad candy on halloween night in new salem radio dj's chili billy Corey taylor and paul played by zach galligan tell a twisted anthology of terrifying local myths that lead to a grim end for small town residents so if you love slipknot gremlins and horror this is the film for you bad candy is out now on demand everywhere and you can get your hands on the blu-ray october 10th All right, hi everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. You may or may not be aware that we have begun a brand new miniseries. We have begun our journey into canceled Halloween installments with our new series entitled Halloween is Canceled. So we're gonna be doing these every week leading up to the release of Halloween Kills and then actual Halloween itself. Dennis Etchison's Halloween 4, treatment, script, the whole shabeel, It didn't get made, but it's very strange, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Josh Milliken. Josh, how's it going? Could you introduce yourself to the Development Hell audience? Editor-in-chief of Dread Central for almost exactly two years. All the different (laughs) shows we've got, but I really love Development Hell. It means a lot to be on the show and to kick it with you. So exciting having you here. I got to mention, you know, you might be, I don't know how much of this is being picked up on my mic, but there are like kids playing in like the little alley right outside my my window here. It almost sounds like Halloween or something where you got kids. Yes, yes. It's very uh, October 30th vibes, you know, like before Michael shows up. Everything is normal, but like something's weird and probably somebody's dead. Mm. Um, Josh, what's your general relationship with the the Halloween franchise? Like, what does it mean to you? It means probably a a lot to me, just like it does to anyone who considers themselves a a, a real horror fan. You know, I was born in uh, the mid-70s, so, you know, I was too young to see the first uh, three installments when they were in Mm -hmm. theaters, but I, I had started watching horror movies on video vhs you know the 80s was this real heyday of r-rated content you know even though mm-hmm. i'm only 10 years old and whatnot so like that so i Michael myers i'd seen halloween and halloween 2 and halloween 3 you know and, and halloween 4 this is where you know my relationship uh, 
becomes kind of personal, you know, uh, Halloween 4 is the first movie that I saw, franchise that I saw in a theater. You know, uh, early high school days, uh, uh-huh. you know, seeing uh, Halloween 4 in a movie theater, you know, and I thought it was a really great entry. You know, it's the one that ends with Jamie Lloyd, girl uh, with the bloody knife and the bloody mask, you know, thinking mm-hmm. we're going in this whole new crazy direction. It was really effective. Uh, the whole thing was really fun. Uh, I've mm-hmm. always really liked Halloween 4, you know, because of the time of my life, because I saw it on the big screen. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's great that we're talking about what could have been an alternative version of Halloween 4. You know, I'm imagining how, uh, you know, uh, 13-year-old Josh would have enjoyed this film. But here's the thing, oh, yes. i got to admit, you know, as far as my relationship with the Halloween franchise, you know, I, I really fell off with the whole, uh, you know, uh, Halloween franchise in the 1990s. Um, I, I think I saw Halloween okay. 5, but I really don't remember much of it. And then with the whole H2O, the whole revival thing, uh, whatever, some some travesty with Busta Rhymes, I wasn't really paying attention to any of that. Yeah, and they ignore the Halloween 4 timeline anyway, so it's kind of like, you know, ignoring the one that I have these great memories of. You know, I saw Halloween 2018. It was either South by Southwest or Fantastic Fest. I forget which one. Fantastic Fest. Mm-hmm. It must have been Fantastic mm-hmm. Fest. Getting into Halloween 4, it is one of those entries that I really oscillate over the years. I used to really like it as a kid and then I mean, as a young adulthood I kind of thought oh this is cheesy as all hell I rewatched it today actually I'm back at the place of loving this film it kind of it more so than a lot of other installments in this series it kind of captures the suburban horror that the first film really gets like all of it takes place in like a very Halloween one-esque neighborhood after dark, kind of that suburban horror. And I feel like it kind of got it well. So I'm here for it. The, the yeah, Halloween four yeah. was directed by Dwight H. Little and written by Alan B. McElroy. It was released on October 21st, 1988. It was made for about 5 million and recouped about 18 million just in North America. So it was a big hit. So yeah, our general feelings about Halloween 4 is, sounds like it was a big one for you. But watching it again today, I have to say, you know what? I'm here for it again after all these years. Thoughts on Jamie Lloyd, played by Daniel Harris. She pulled it off. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, I was I was in my early teens when I saw it. So I was older than the, the Jamie Lloyd character. But this is still an R-rated movie. As a teenager, I thought it was really scary. And as a young teen, you know, I wasn't too much older than Jamie Lloyd to still put myself in her shoes. By the third act, like, that kid is giving it her everything. And I, and it's impressive. Like, she, she well, really nails the emotional beats. Absolutely. And the end is just a, it, it's a shocker. It's a great, great last scene, last image shocker. You know, it's... Wait, so how does uh, it end? The best... In case people don't know, what is the ending of Halloween for? Uh, the ending is kind of like a, a recreation of the very first scene of the very first Halloween. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in Halloween uh, 1978, we see through the clown mask as Michael Myers kills his sister. And yep. at the very end of Halloween 4, it's it's recreated, except when the we turn around and we see who it is, it's not Michael Myers, it's Jamie. Do you yeah. think this was the right direction for the Halloween franchise to take? Obviously, Halloween 3 was a bit of a, a swing and a miss, I would say, for the franchise in terms of like success. Do you think the direction they took with Halloween 4 was the right move? It, it, it's what happened. So yeah, it was the right move <laughs> because yeah. it, it couldn't have gone anywhere. But uh, no, I know what you're saying. Like, I think, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, could they so. have done something different and been equally successful or more successful? Maybe, but I think it mm-hmm. was very successful. It's ultimately a very entertaining film. Yes, and it's, I would, well, it's been a while since I've seen number five, but I'm 
assuming, based on my past experiences, that this is miles ahead of number five in quality. Getting into why we're here today, and in case anyone's forgotten, we are here to talk about Dennis Etchison's Lost Halloween 4 script. So this was the original concept that Halloween 4 was going to take. And then in the last minute, our producers kind of got cold feet. They wanted to go a route that they knew would be successful, especially after the flop of Halloween 3. And they went a more traditional slasher kind of Friday the 13th direction with the fourth film. Before Halloween 4 was Halloween 3. Yeah, so people believe that Halloween 3 really damaged the reputation of the franchise because you took away the iconic Michael Myers and, and went in a, a direction that people kind of didn't really grasp, especially at the time. Obviously, number three is back in a lot of people's good books nowadays. But at the time, people were just, you know, pissed that Michael Myers wasn't on screen. Do you think Halloween, th like, never mind the finances and the, and the success. Do you have any thoughts on Halloween 3? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a, a, an incorrect move uh, at the time, you know. Uh, clearly, it wasn't yeah. what people wanted. They misread the market. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, I understand, though, that, you know, their intention had always been to make it more of an anthology. Again, you know, you can't really say it mm. should or shouldn't have been done because it was done. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was it was a strike, and I'm glad that they at least recognized that you know it, it wasn't what the audience was looking for, and they course corrected. Well, and they almost didn't. Kind of considering going into the horror anthology realm for it, and the Halloween three writer Nigel Neal had that was all about. So I'm gonna give you, uh, even though you have read Halloween four the Dennis Etchison version. Yes. I'm gonna give you a bit of a backstory, a little bit of the history and context to what was going on. From 1982 to 1986, producers on the project were doing their very best to get John Carpenter and Deborah Hill back involved. These two had made the first two films. They really had lightning in a bottle. They obviously had amazing creative chemistry as a duo. And I think that that was probably the safest route to go. By 1986, John did sign on. Dennis Etchinson was a horror writer at the time in the 80s. He had written a bunch of novelizations of horror movies, including The Fog, Halloween 2, and Halloween 3, which is how this guy got his relationship going with John Carpenter. Stephen King was also a big fan, and so he was tapped to write this new script. It was finished by January 1987, and Joe Dante himself was actually in like heavy duty talks. Now that you've read it, just to like check in with you, do you think Joe Dante would have been the right pick? I really love Joe Dante's directorial work, so I think it could have been fantastic, yeah. I would have too. I feel like he's got a, like a comedic undertone to his, he was also supposed to be the director for Jaws 3, People Zero, which didn't happen. So I kind of feel right. like this guy was all over the place. And Okay, so we had the script. Joe Dante was involved. John Carpenter was on board to executive produce. Everything was looking good and kosher. But uh, producers were scared. And they thought that this script was just too cerebral to move forward with. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were really pissed by this decision. And this is what actually uh, prompted them to sell their stakes in the Halloween franchise. And at the end of the day, everything was just left off with Mustafa Akkad, who then could do whatever the hell he wanted. The first thing he did was he fired Dennis Etchinson and went with the more traditional slasher route for Halloween 4. So before we start talking about like details of Halloween 4, Dennis Etchinson's version, do you have any overall thoughts? Like how did it hit you when you read it this weekend? <laughs> I was really impressed with the script for a lot of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, I think had this been Halloween 4, had this been made, we would have started using the term meta-horror and talking about meta-horror yes. 12 yes. years before Scream. I mean, yep. this this script 
the whole point of this movie is that Michael Myers is the supreme horror villain, you know? Yeah, um, and he is. It, Come on. It, it, it also contains what must be, it would have been the most meta moment in meta horror. Uh, there's a scene that we can talk about later, but where uh, they're at a, a drive-in and they're watching John Carpenter's The Fog as the fog rolls in and yeah. the shape is stalking. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. It's 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 so good, to be honest. I, I love the way that they play with John Carpenter's works. Uh, and yeah, and Psycho 1, 2, and 3 are also playing in the background. Uh, there's a You hear a line about Jason Voorhees as Michael Myers is killing somebody that basically Michael invented this genre. And all of yeah. these guys kind of followed suit. It's, it's making well, fun of that. all of them. There's a moment where uh, Michael Myers is literally superimposed over Jason and Jason yes. burns away and Michael remains. So Okay, yes. I don't remember much about that moment. What, what was going on? It, it was at that's, the drive-in, That's in right? the climax of the drive-in when everything's kind of going out of control. And I, I think that's yeah. when uh, one of the characters realized that no one's in the projection booth. Oh, it's so good. It's very wacky. And I can see why the suits got freaked out because... It's any of the slashers that we were seeing in the mid '80s, and I and I love that. Yeah. Well, what really struck me too from the very beginning, you know, I'm talking about how meta this is, about how, you know, Michael Myers is a supreme horror villain. It opens with the scene that seems right out of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, you oh, know, it, it yeah, opens. Yeah, there's with, a there's a nightmare in the beginning. There's yeah. a nightmare, and not only that, there's a scene where, um, you know, uh, Michael Myers like slices a, a character in half and emerges from their body totally reminded me of freddy's revenge you know it really did oh, yes. feel like it was like okay he, you think freddy's scary check out michael and it's almost like as an opener to the whole movie they're being like okay admit it michael's scarier than freddy try my best to improvise a synopsis for this film and then you're gonna tell me how i did sure all right here i go Okay, so 10 years after the events of the first film, we have teenage uh, Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace living across the street from each other in Haddon. Haddonfield is still traumatized by the events of the first film, so Halloween is perennially canceled. The adults in the town are all freaked out and uptight about Halloween. They'll do anything in their power to keep it from infiltrating the town and their kids. So there's no costumes, there's no scary movies, there's none of that shit. They're like, it's all locked down and the kids, including Tommy and Lindsay, have kind of had enough. They want to live normal lives. They're not freaked out like their parents are. Lindsay doesn't even remember the events of the first film. She's got like some trauma blockage there. Tommy is now like a teenage rebel, um, doing all sorts of bad shit and, and nobody seems to really get him or like him in this film. And so as uh, the film progresses, Michael Myers is kind of re-released onto Haddonfield as a supernatural entity. He kind, he kind of comes back kind of like personification of the town's fear and paranoia. Because Michael Myers, like on paper, is dead. He exploded at the end of Halloween 2. Like there's no way to sort of get out of that, along with Loomis. But he's been resurrected as this like supernatural entity because everybody's still talking about him. And it's a lot, as you were just saying, it's exactly the Freddy Krueger thing where like power by thinking about him and being scared of him. And the more you do that, the more he's able to sort of operate. And so he does, he operates, he kills a bunch of people and it kind of all climaxes in this big fiery inferno scene at the drive-in, which leads to Michael Myers like absorbing 
bullets and like growing to 12 feet tall until he eventually kind of explodes. I'm not totally sure what happens there. Anyways, at the end, Tommy and Lindsay decide to run away together, faking their own deaths because they're in love, I guess, which I was shocked to read at the end. Yeah, okay, how did I do? Like, on a scale from one to 10, how much of that would you agree with? I think you nailed it, you know, nine, nine, nine out of 10. All right, so what do you think about this Tommy and Lindsay stuff? They're, they're kind of the lead characters, right? Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like the idea that, you know, they would have taken uh, the same characters from the original and, you know, reimagined them in real time, basically, because this would have been like, you know, 10 years after the first one. They would have been teens in high school, you know, I know. or right it's around a- there. And it's funny because we're about to head into Halloween Kills and we're bringing both of these characters back for, well, the first time in a really long time. Obviously, we're talking about how Tommy came back in number six, but I don't think we've seen Lindsay ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, it, think, I think it, it would have been a great way to do it. You know, uh, you know, as much as I like the Jamie Lloyd character, um, I think this could have been another way to really grab the teen audience uh, and mm-hmm. make it feel palpable and, and, and relatable to them, you know? You were talking about there was like a there's a really striking nightmare at the beginning. Do you think yes. you could like try to tell us what was going on in that scene? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's um uh the Lindsay's mom, Mrs. Wallace, yeah. is you know having yeah. a dream that she can't find her daughter on Halloween. She hears her scream. She's running through town, uh, and she finds herself in front of the Myers house. You know and she goes mm-hmm. up and, and goes inside the Myers house and everything's kind of like sticky and, and, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little, there's like a weird haze to everything. She, she touches yeah. a lamp and it's sticky. She touches some furniture and it's sticky. You, we realize that the room is covered with blood. You know, she looks around, there's carnage everywhere. She sees Lindsay at the top of the stairs and in a very Freddy Krueger moment, uh, there's some sort of like slashing effect and Michael Myers like comes out of her body she screams and wakes up in bed it's all very nightmare on elm street yeah she like cracks open and michael myers like emerges out of her it kind of gave me kind of malignant vibes do you see that at all yeah sure absolutely i I could imagine i just saw malignant for the first time like this weekend by the way it's amazing film (laughs) it's it's not what i was expecting at all i don't know what i was expecting but it certainly wasn't that um which is awesome yeah so Michael emerges as a supernatural entity. How do we feel about that? About him no longer living? Because I think part of what scares a lot of people about Michael Myers is that he's such a... There's a certain realism with him. Like, he's just, like, right. this relentless dude that could yeah. be in your town. So I mean, turning that yeah. into something bigger, how did that work? I mean, it would have been bold as hell. And I think it would have been very divisive. Um, you know, okay. but at oh, the yeah. end of the day, you know, Jason... Jason is uh, corporeal, but he's also supernatural. He's some sort of revenant or, or zombie, if you want to get technical. But I, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, putting him in this realm, I think, to c- compete with Freddy, you know, almost like I said, the film uh, cinematically, you know, is like a, a Michael versus Freddy sort of thing. It, it's it's saying uh-huh. that he can go toe to toe in Freddy's world. I do like how they kind of give you a little bit of a, a possibility that Michael could be alive. They mentioned something about how they couldn't differentiate his bones from Loomis's bones. And, you know, who knows, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, right. Wait, I in the beginning, at least, that. you can kind of entertain the idea that maybe he's not supernatural. But, of course, by the end, it's revealed that he absolutely is when he regrows fingers and, you know, <laughs> yeah, swells yeah, to yeah. 20 feet tall. There, there's no denying that that Michael Myers is uh, supernatural, but I do like that you were you were saying before him being a manifestation of the town's fears. 
it's not only similar to a nightmare on elm street it's similar to Candyman, where you know but yes. the, the original source material was kind of like you know the, the villain needs to be feared in order to exist you know and tommy like had the right idea where he's all just don't give it any power you know he's dead you know michael myers is dead but because the parents were so obsessed with uh canceling halloween essentially keeping the children afraid their fear brought michael back to life yeah it, you kind of get the sense that the adults are who are really mm, kind of the antagonists of the film at its heart because even though they kind of have good intentions like Lindsay's mom is horrible She's doing everything in her power to keep her daughter basically gaslit and like under her power so that I guess nothing bad can happen to her. But she comes across as like unhinged and terrible. The whole town kind of isn't painted in a good light in this film. I mean, it's kind of true though. If like, if you fixate on something long enough, if you're like, you can kind of manifest things. I, I'm not a hoo-doo-doo-doo guy, but I do kind of believe that. Do, do you, is that something that's like, can you buy that? Do you think you I can mean, manifest sure. you know, something? I think it is something about that we see in, Yeah, I think it's something you, we saw recently in horror. Did you see The Empty Man? I know that was kind of controversial, but the whole concept mm -hmm. of that yes. one is that you just yes. imagine a being into existence. And isn't that what we're talking about here with Michael Myers? You know, essentially they uh -huh. created a tulpa just by focusing on this dead thing. You know, they gave it power beyond the grave. Absolutely. It's kind of like the secret, but like the evil inver inverted version of the Exactly. Secret. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it is exactly Freddy Krueger, right? It's like it really exactly is. Freddy Krueger setup. It really is. And, you know, so I feel like, you know, the very first scene was kind of like saying, like, look, Michael Myers can outdo Freddy. Then, you know, we, we have this uh, building towards this climax you were talking about, the uh, drive-in theater. It's, so we should kind of, <laughs> like, set the stage a little bit. It, it's a yes, the way they describe it is like a drive-in marathon where there are actually three screens going simultaneously. So you can watch Which any awesome. one or all of them at the, the same time. It's just, like, totally so wild, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there's one point that they describe um, uh, Psycho, Psycho 2, and Psycho 3 all playing simultaneously and noting that there's, you know, th this spans 25 years for Anthony Perkins, you know, him in different uh -huh. stages of his life. So, okay. Please. Have you seen any of the cycles other than psycho one? Have you seen two, two, three, and four? I've seen them all. Yeah. You've seen them all. Can I just I say, I don't know if this is controversial. It's probably not. I'm a big psycho four fan. Mick Garris, psycho four. Like I like that movie. I, th I don't think he gets enough love. It's, it's truly wild. It is It is truly wild. Again, I think by then we're getting into the 90s, right? So I was kind of yes. like, you know, all I can tell you is that I've seen it. Um, you know, but I, I <laughs> the do 90s remember... are a little hazy, Josh. <laughs> I can yeah. tell and I like it. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember Psycho 2. Uh, Which is um, also not bad. Very detailed, you know, uh, very detailed. Mm. I remember Psycho 3, very detailed. That opening See, that sequence. that one I don't uh, remember that well. Oh, there's this opening sequence where he's like taxiderming a little bird and it flashes to all of a sudden he's taxiderming his second dead mom, you know, and sewing up her, her wrist and stuff. It's nice. It's really wild. Yeah. So, you know, Psycho 2 with this like yeah. nun character. So good stuff. Psycho, I really enjoyed the Psycho, Psycho yeah. 2 and Psycho 3. I, I love those Psycho sequels. I remember Psycho 2 really shocking me. Uh, Meg Tilly, <laughs> the Meg Tilly vehicle, right. Psycho 2, get into it. The third yeah. one I remember not liking as much as everything else, but I remember being interested by the fact that Anthony Perkins was behind the camera. Yeah, so getting back to the story of Halloween 4. So we were talking about how it was all kind of building up to this big uh, finale in 
the drive-in sequence. Do you want to try to like sort of paint a picture for how it all ended up? Okay, yeah, okay, here's what it is. Uh, Tommy's off somewhere with a gun after escaping from police custody. Uh, Lonnie is hanging out. Is, is Lonnie hanging out at the... Yes, the... Lonnie is okay. with his friends and they're there, yes. Okay, Lonnie is there, and somehow also um, Lindsay's gonna arrive there. But Lonnie is like hanging out with a, a... He's like the fifth wheel. He's with two other couples, and they're in this converted hearse. And first one couple's in the back kind of making out, and Lonnie kind of like dozes off, and the other couple goes in back, and he's like, oh man, I'm just up here by myself. He kind of dozes off. He comes to, and, you know, kind of like steps out. That's when they have this moment with the fog rolling in at some point eventually. But basically... He, like, tries mm-hmm. to wake up his friends, pulls the blanket off of them, and there are two dead, mutilated couples. He starts freaking out, running from car to car. Every every uh, making-out couple, and every teenage couple in every car has been, like, slaughtered. This is where he ends up, you know, the, the fog rolls in as the fog plays on the screen. And mm-hmm. he makes his way towards the projection booth. And, you know, Michael Myers appears in the projection booth. Where's the, this is that moment I was explaining where, you know, for a moment he's superimposed over Jason in Friday the 13th and Jason burns away and Michael remains. Michael jumps out of the protection, uh, the projection booth. You know, he's he's running, you know, towards Lonnie to try to kill Lonnie. Maybe he even does. I don't even remember. The point is, by this point, um, uh, Lindsay and uh, uh, Tommy. Tommy are both there. Um, yeah. and you know, Michael's, you know, he's going to kill Lindsay finally. And, and everyone's there uh, and the cops all arrive at this point. And finally backup who, who, you know, they called for backup in, in act mm-hmm. one and backup doesn't arrive until the very end of back three, uh, back three, backup Classic arrived. Backup. All of a sudden you've got cops circling the, the drive in with shotguns. Um, uh, uh, Tommy's up there with a gun. He stole from a cop earlier. Uh, Michael yep. Myers grabs Lindsay. He's about to like kill her. All the cops unleash their weapons. Uh, Lindsay drops, uh, uh, and, and Michael Myers basically just starts absorbing all of these bullets. Uh, his his fingers got bitten off by a dog earlier in Act One, and his fingers first his fingers grow back, and then he grows to this monstrous mm-hmm. height, like you're describing. I think twenty feet. Yeah, is yeah, what it's huge, like supernatural. Yeah, the shape like reshapes into this like giant Michael Myers very strange right right so it's pre- it's pretty wild I mean I, I imagine people at the time watching that just going like what the fuck you know and yes um, yes there, there's a final confrontation with with Tommy where he rescues uh, uh, Lindsay but like mm-hmm. no okay I said that wrong uh, in this final confrontation it appears as though uh, Tommy and Lindsay uh, explode. Uh, there, there's a big explosion. They right. fire all these things at Michael Myers. What, what was it that caused him to explode? Was it when Tommy shot him or something? I th- something I think falls. I feel like uh, he's absorbing all these bullets and it's just making him stronger. But I feel like some kind of electricity pull or something falls and like there's a huge explosion. Yeah, and there's a huge reason, explosion. Yeah, he just ends up exploding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somehow Michael Myers just explodes and it, it seems pretty yeah. clear that. Tommy and, and Lindsay have, have died in the explosion. Do, do you want to tell mm-hmm. the final scene? Yeah, yeah, sure. So Michael Myers is supposedly defeated, but we feel like our, our leads are dead. And then we go to the next scene and it's Tommy and Lindsay and they've run away together and they're like uh, like camping out in some abandoned farm, barn, and they've decided to let their families think that they have died in the fiery wreck so that they can escape their overbearing town and parents and the the ghost of Michael Myers and they're just going to run away together and oh they're in love now 
which I was did not see coming, by the way, at all. Um, kind of felt crammed in at the end. Did you see their love bl- blooming before this moment, or is, is mean, this just me? No, I mean it, it didn't like shock me. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a total Hollywood capper, but at the same time, yeah. they, they had set you up with the whole fact that like you know Lindsay didn't have any other worthy or significant love interest you know tommy wasn't interested in other girls they had this shared trauma that you know they they each understood each other better than anyone else could even though uh, for the bulk of the movie Lindsay couldn't even remember her confrontation with michael in in halloween that's right and and tommy does call Lindsay a bunch of times throughout the film and and her mom like (laughs) won't won't let him talk to her so i guess that kind of adds up to that too one thing you didn't mention, though, which I think is worth noting, is the film does end with another nightmare, you know, of, like, Michael Myers delivering a final jump scare. Am I right? Can you can you paint me that picture? Because I, I, I read it today, I mean, it, and it's, somehow it's just I like forgot. After, it, it's almost like a, one of those fake wake-up scenes. It's the day uh-huh. after the explosion. It's the day after, you know, the the horror movie marathon right uh, tommy, yes tommy and Lindsay are waking up in the barn uh she hears something at the barn door the barn door opens and it's michael myers there and then she wakes up in the barn again yes scary so also they, very, they like, do um, again you know leave for that's a very nightmare on elm street thing to do the way they find <laughs> yes, it. it is. and it also puts you know the fact that you know michael myers is still in her mind she still has some fear of him which i guess leaves the possibility for another supernatural manifestation Yes, there's that seed of fear. It's just like Freddy. It's why they have to give all those kids uh, uh, what's 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 the sleep oh, uh, medication? I know what you're talking oh. about. Trypanol or something goofing all. Oh, people are screaming at us from their car. But you know what? It's I fine. know. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's how it ends. It. I. I like an '80s horror movie sequence in a barn. It's very Friday the Thirteenth Part Three and Five. Absolutely. And I like that. There's something spooky about a barn. I think it's all those sharp things, all those sharp equipment. Get it out of here. Have you seen yeah. Behind the Mask? I have. I have. Love it. And I love the actor, Nathan, Nathan Bissell. He's great. Uh, uh, Angela, the, the lead, oh, she's wonderful. Yeah. I've met them at it's conventions so... several times, and they're just really wonderful oh, I'm people. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Yes, uh, I did an episode recently on the sequel that never happened, and it's right. one of the most tragic, I would say, horror movies yeah. that didn't occur. Um, love that movie. Lots of good barn sequences in that one. Heading into conclusions, thoughts on this alternative Halloween 4? Like, compared to what we got, how did it stack up? I mean, I, I think it stacked up great. You know, like I said, I, I think it, it, it would have been hugely divisive with the supernatural Michael Myers. Uh, but yeah. I, I can't say it would have been worse than, you know, Halloween 4, a movie I'm very fond of. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it kind of, you know, makes me sad to think of a, a timeline where, uh, our Halloween 4 doesn't exist, where maybe Jamie Lloyd never mm-hmm. even exists. But at the same time, ha- had this come to fruition, um, you know, I think it would have been an exciting new direction that, you know, brought Michael back in a way that was would have been really fresh. And, you know, it, it's interesting hearing how much John Carpenter uh, was supportive of this version because it really rewrites Very. Michael in some radical ways. And it seems like everything else, he's really critical, so critical of the Rob Zombie films for trying to bring Michael into a new space, but he was really supportive of this one. And, you know, something else you can tell throughout the script is just uh, what an homage uh, it it is to Carpenter in general. There's another scene where someone's watching Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. There are other John Carpenter films that play during the, um, 
uh, movie marathon. We talked about The Fog already, but Christine yeah. is one of the films that they play oh, at the movie yeah. marathon. So it's very much a, a homage to John Carpenter and the celebration of, of him as a filmmaker. Yeah, big time. And Dennis Etchison has like uh, collaborated with Carpenter so many times. As I mentioned, he is responsible for the novelization of The Fog, Halloween 2, Halloween 3. So these guys are tight, and it seems like they wrote it to, like very close together. Like Etchison would go to his house, and they would like sit on the floor cross-legged, and they would like talk about the script, and he would give him notes. So it sounds like he was really involved. And the fact that the studios decided to go against it is the reason John Carpenter just sold his stakes in the entire property. So it's kind of historic, actually, this Halloween 4 sequence. Yeah. All right. So I think that sounds like your some good overall feelings and conclusions. Is there anything else you want to add before before we wrap up? I mean, I think that's that's my take on the film. Uh, you know, a really enjoyable script. You know, I, I don't read a lot of screenplays. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, so you know, I wasn't sure if if it would translate from from the page to a, a an imagined cinematic experience. But uh, you know, it, th- this screenplay does that very well. You know, it's not terribly. Com- I mean, it it is complex when you start talking about like what is Michael Myers. You know, Tommy telling everyone that Michael's dead. You know. Michael only being alive because the adults won't let him die. You know, it's complex, but at the same time, the narrative is really straightforward. Like a Halloween film should be, you know, it's very much Halloween day and Halloween night, you know, with a big climax, you know, so it it doesn't take itself to a great film. Yeah. I wish I could have seen it. I, I think ultimately it may have made for a better film, but I don't know if it would have sparked interest in the franchise in the same way that this other Halloween four did. So it, like, who knows? Would we even have the rest of the franchise afterwards if this is what we got? It's hard to say. Okay, it Josh, really um, where can people find you online if you would allow them to find you? I would love for them to find me on Twitter at Josh, J-O-S-H underscore Milliken, M-I-L-L-I-C-A-N. Yeah, uh, come give me a follow. You know, for for the most part, I, I just retweet uh, a lot of the great content from Dread Central and you know some of our, our partner programs. But occasionally, I'll I'll uh, let you know a personal thought or two. And before we, I let you go, is it okay if we disclose what's coming up in your in your personal life in the next little yeah. while? Because it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, uh, my wife and I are about to welcome our first son, you know, very fittingly in the month of October. Uh, Actually, I I don't know your your recording, your release schedule, but by the time starting this next chapter of my life, you know, and and yeah, uh, super exciting time for me personally. Just in time. I mean, we we are technically uh, uh, right around full term. So, you know, it, it, it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be days. I'm really excited for you guys. And thank you for taking the time to come talk about Halloween 4 with me. This was super, super fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Coming soon to Dread, Val. Finn, a wanted criminal, hides out with an escort named Val, a demon. Val offers to make all of his problems disappear if he follows her rules. She has been expecting him all along, and it won't be easy to escape Val's dungeon. You can catch Val on October 5th and on Blu-ray, November 2nd. <laughs>